you're listening to Bicycle Training from Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Released September 18, 1987, composed by Yukio Kanioka, Akito Nakatsuka, and Kenji Yamamoto. What's up, BG Maniacs? Welcome to another episode of BG Mania, a video game music podcast. I, of course, am your host, Brian, and joining me on the show this week, he is the host of the movie bar. Every month with the dyad, it is Petroth. Hey, man. What's going? It is going. I'm liking this new uh, this new format, recording in advance. I like this. Yeah, it's pretty handy. You uh, you released an episode today. <laughs> it, was, it was cool. <laughs> I did. I absolutely did. Yeah, our bonus episode for Mario Plus Rapid Sparks of Hope finally posted. And then we've got another episode that's hitting between that one and this one that we're recording tonight, which is that spotlight episode on Xenoblade Chronicles 3, which is available already. If you're listening to this episode and you skip that one, go back and check it out. I'm sure it was great. I haven't done it yet, but I'm sure it was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Real quick, before you do your uh, usual spiel, I will say I was uh, incorrect in my estimation. My episode of Very Good Music did not come out before the Sparks of Hope episode did, but it will be out by the time you listen to this episode right now. 
<laughs> no promises about how it compares to Zenoblade, though. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, if you'd be so kind, head on over to Apple Podcasts or whichever app you've chosen to listen to us on and drop us a quick rating and review. It really does help us out in terms of visibility so that this show continues to grow. And remember, we are on Patreon now as well. Patreon.com forward slash RPG era. Check out our tiers, see what we're doing. If you feel inclined, toss us a couple bucks each month. If not, continue to listen to the episodes as they upload into Quirks Lunders as well. And of course, special shout out to current executive producers, Jexx and Zenku. Alright, I am actually excited as hell for this episode, man. It's been a while, I think. I could be wrong, but I think it's been a while since we've had a very retro-sounding episode that was completely 100%, you know, old school, man. Retro, yeah. old school, absolutely. It's been a minute, and it's been a minute since we focused on just a specific year. It has, yeah. I was going to say, I don't think we've done a full retro episode since I joined the show, and I know for not. a fact we have not done a, you have not done a year-based episode since I joined the show, so yeah, I am excited, dude. Yeah, we've only done a couple year-based episodes. We started, May have may actually have started with 1992 and then we did 94 98 2002 and 2012 and then we've been doing them ever since like 2017 as well at the end of each year we will have one for 2022 at the end of december just what we do but um, 92 is a good year uh good place to was start a good year. that's where we're we gonna, started yeah was a we're good gonna year. eventually i think next time we need to do either 95 or 96 i'm okay with that i'm okay with that um crazy enough it won't be next year because we already have the damn calendar booked solid <laughs> which is impressive yep. that we were able to come up with the entire calendar of episodes for next year in almost one sitting so that was really cool but the 1987 theme to get that one because i didn't know i want i knew i wanted to do a year I knew because I, I had pegged in a year episode for this month way earlier in the year. I didn't know which one, though. So I literally went to Google, typed in like spin the wheel, like make a spin the wheel thing. I put in all the years that we've not done yet from 1985 through 2016. And I spun the wheel and it landed on 1987. All right. All right. Well, I like it. This this was uh, I, I wasn't sure. I knew it was going to be pretty good because I knew there were some good games that came out around this time. I wasn't sure 100% which games had come out this year, but in my uh, research, that of course I always do, um, this was a really big year in gaming. A lot of very important games and uh, series debuted this year. Yeah, it was a pretty pivotal year. Uh, NES was still going strong, the Atari was still oh, out, yeah. the Commodore was still out. Uh, Master the NES System was making an impact. Was the top selling system around the world for the fourth year in a row this year, 1987. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. Yeah, it was dominating then. But yeah, the market so. was still, it was booming. Um, it was. N Nintendo had brought the market back, or had brought the yeah, the video game market back with the uh, Famicom and the NES. Um, Sega was still making a lot of great arcade games. Um, Sega was dominating the arcade markets. Um, Outrun, Afterburner, Super Hang-On were some of the top games of the year in the arcades. Yep, and then of course you have... You know, some of the big NES games, Contra, Metal Gear, right? Those mm -hmm. released Punch-Out, which we heard at the beginning of the show there. Yeah, Double Dragon came over from yep, the arcades. Double Dragon, it did, it did, it did. Japan had a good year with Dragon Warrior 2. A lot of sequels in Japan. Dragon Quest 2, uh, Castlevania 2, Zelda 2, and um, 87 was actually the year that The Legend of Zelda came out outside of Japan. So it was the first it time did. Zelda left Japan, so. Yeah, and I like that we all, like, we, we kind of focused, and I think that's what we typically do on these year episodes we went by first release 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that you makes saying the most sense. that's what you go by. Yeah. So yeah, makes the most I was sense. glad to see that too. I was also glad to see that um, after I went super eclectic on my playlist that you yeah you sent me this little... google <laughs> freaking folder and you're like none of my none of my shits on youtube sorry and we, you found a couple and I i'm did, like all I right did. let me take yeah. a look at this and i'm like oh i've heard of two of these three of these <laughs> right <laughs> right but then you've got you've got some of the some of the big ones that you mentioned i'm not going to spoil anything except i will say um if we uh if i had gone with the classics the opening theme to Zelda 2 would have been the opener for this episode. Um, fantastic Which we probably track. already have played. I actually don't think you guys have played the opening yet. You've played the temple okay. theme. Um, and I don't know what else you played from Zelda 2, but I looked and you hadn't played that one yet. Um, I know we haven't played it in the last few weeks, and those are the only ones I haven't added to the list yet. So, Yeah, but absolutely. that said, your opening track is from a classic... Uh, and really, really great soundtrack um, for for the NES, and a great game for the NES as well. Yeah, Mike Tyson's Punch Out, or just Punch Out after Tyson was dropped from it. Uh, but in 1987, by, it was still in Mike 1987, Tyson's Punch Out. In 1987, it was still Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Yeah. <laughs> Talking bicycle training there at the opening, composed by Yukio Kaneoka, Akito Nakatsuka, and Kenji Yamamoto. I was Kenji shocked Yamamoto, yeah. that we never played this. I feel like it's the most popular track from Punch Out. It's so good, man. It's I love so it. good. It's it's like so short, but it's one of those really short loops that you find yourself listening to it for like a minute and a half and you're like, wait a minute, has it really just been this the whole time? This is <laughs> it's a great it's, track. That's perfect. It's it's so good. Like you don't even like you're not like you said, not paying attention to when it loops. It just whisks you away. And that's kind of what I'm excited about today on this episode, because I'm a big fan, obviously, of hair metal, 80s music, 80s rock, 80s love songs and ballads and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. I'm also a, a really big fan of the modern synthwave and retrowave movement, as I talk about a lot. And I feel like a lot of the tracks that we have, I'm looking at, you know, I don't know some of yours, but I feel like they may explore that route. And I'm, I'm excited to really hear what we've prepared for this episode, because I think it's going to be a lot of fun. You're not going to be disappointed. Yeah. Um, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. And I did um, I did bring a couple of classic tracks. Like you mentioned, you recognize two of these, and I'm saving those for my... Uh, you probably... You've, you've heard of three of these. Um, you may not remember that you've heard of one of them, but you have. <laughs> and um, very, I'm saving... That's very true. I'm saving the ones that I think people are going to really know for my last three. So... Um, but yeah, I think, I think you're going to like mine. I was excited to find them. And, um, all I did was I looked up 1987 in video games, which is an actual Wikipedia page you can go to. They have a list of years in video game history. And these were I some think of I the... I used IMDb, actually. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah. Yeah. IMDb, because, uh, the Wikipedia for 1987, it didn't have a ton on there. Like... At least I don't remember it having a ton on there, but the, the IMDb had over 300 entries. Yeah, this one is not exhaust, exhaustive. It lists, like, the highlights. But once I realized kind of the the route that I wanted to take, I I just kind of I branched off of the, uh, the Wikipedia page and kind of went my own way. But, yeah, man, let me see. Some other big games from 87. Uh, this is when Street Fighter, the very first one, came out. Um, let me see. Uh, Double Dragon, uh, of course, were released to the arcades and really, really fast port to NES. Uh, R-Type debuted this year. 
Um, Castlevania and Zelda, as we mentioned, uh, Japan got the sequels and the rest of the world got the first two. Um, or got the first ones, uh, first Castlevania, first Zelda. Uh, Metal Gear debuted this year. Metroid came out in North America. Um, Maniac Mansion was released, not the NES version, but the original PC version. Um, yeah, oh, the first Mega Man game came out. Oh, yeah. And then I'm not going to spoil some of the other ones. Uh, I may or may not have already mentioned a couple that um, are going to be featured, but um, this was also... The Sharp X68000 came out in this year. The PC Engine came out this year. I was down to eight tracks at one point and trying to narrow it down. The track I bumped was one that I don't remember now from the PC Engine, which, of course, we know is the TurboGrafx-16. The Master System released in Europe by Sega. And, um, yeah, several systems were were going strong. Several arcade systems were still being developed. Like I said, it was a a happening year. Yeah, it was still popping. Really excited to get dig into it with you i'm excited as well well i think uh i think i'm excited to listen to your first block actually it's gonna be a fun one excited to jump into this <laughs> only one uh well-known composer in this block but you know i kind of like that i like when i explore new stuff by folks i haven't heard of and some folks we still don't know the names of <laughs> But yeah, we're going to start things very off. true. Because when I think of retro gaming, one of the first memories I have is going to the arcade. And so I'm going to start out with my only arcade track from the list. This is Goal 4 from Road Blasters. This was released June 19th, 1987, and it was composed by Brad Fuller.
Next up, from the Atari ST, we're going to listen to the main theme from Eyeball 2. That's I, Ball 2, released in the first half of 1987 and composed, as far as we can tell, by Tim Kloss. Rounding out my first block from the Commodore 64, we're going to listen to Stairway to Hell from To Be on Top, released 1987 and composed by Chris Hulsbeck. Thank you. 
Right, and coming back from my first block of tracks, we are first talking about the track called Goal 4 from the arcade game Road Blasters. And yeah, Brian, how'd you like this one? This was, uh, <laughs> I've never even <laughs> heard of this game, man. Like, I don't know that I've heard of any of the games you brought in this actual block. Maybe I have, but I, off the top of my head, just by the name, I don't think so. I really liked this. This is a racing game, you said, I think, right? It, it's a it's a death race game. Okay. Um so this yeah, sounds like a like a track theme, right? Like a racetrack theme. Like I feel like this is It must be like I'm thinking yeah. maybe goal four is like the fourth track or something. Um Ooh, potentially you know, yeah. the, these tracks were so creatively named back then. You know, we're coming off of Sparks of Hope when every track had a had a very evocative name. Yeah. Um, But yeah, this this it looks like so it was an arcade game. It looks like from the art I can see there was a traditional cabinet and there was one of those big sit down cabinets that you could use with a steering wheel and the pedals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And it looks like, you know, your classic behind the car racing game. But apparently you had things like a machine gun and a rocket launcher. And your goal is to complete 50 rallies without running out of fuel. So, um, and uh, without getting blown up. <laughs> so, okay, okay. yeah. Um, but I had never heard of this game either. I'm sure that I passed it at some point in some arcade or another. Uh, you know, there were all all of those. Like, I was never super into racing games, which is why maybe I never gra- gravitated toward this. It's probably because I tried a couple of them and I sucked. Um, (laughs) but I had also never heard of, you know what? That's not true. I think I have heard of Brad Fuller. Um, I'm checking now. Um, but anybody who knows arcade stuff, uh, if you can tell us what type of arcade cabinet this was, let us know. I couldn't find it and I don't really know much to distinguish between different arcade cabinet models. So, but yeah, I'm looking up yeah, Brad Fuller. Yeah, it was kind of hard to find information on several of your games, I think, just because they were pretty obscure. Yeah, pretty I niche. like how um, fast-paced this track really is. It definitely speeds up in certain sections where, like, it almost imitates, like, a shredding guitar. I don't know if it's meant to be a guitar, but it imitates it very well. Okay, this is how I've heard of him. Brad Fuller uh, composed the music for the Tengen edition of Tetris, released on okay. the NES. Okay. Uh, he also composed music for Marble Madness. So, oh, okay. Not the, the NES version of, is uh, David Wise, actually, I think, but he apparently did the uh, arcade version of Marble Madness. Okay. okay. So, okay. he engineered the audio for... Atari's ports of Donkey Kong and Robotron 2084. And that's about it. Not a whole lot else on him. Okay. We have to give a shout out to that bomb dropping at the start of the track, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely death race worthy, I think. (laughs) Yeah. You know, get out of the way. Otherwise, you're going to explode. And that moves us into the second track of my first block here. Um, Eyeball (laughs) from the Atari ST. Uh, we played the main theme of the game, and um, we weren't sure who composed this. The track information, the data that came with the track indicated the composer Wally Bebin, but I looked him up on VGM um, Preservation Foundation. This was not on his list. So you listed Tim Kloss who I believe uh, you said was the the creator of this game. The sole name attached to this game on the one website I found some actual info on this. 
Um, I don't okay. know if he did everything right, like graphics, coding, music. He could have. Could have been a one-man show. Maybe, yeah. Maybe that's I know why it's that, called so, I, yeah. I Ball. I made this game. So it looks like the Atari ST edition <laughs> was converted by a company called Paragon. Programmer was Glenn Kendall. The graphics were done by Tahir Rashid. And the music on, this is on Moby Games, the music just says Probe. So, hmm. although I did see in the trivia section on Moby Games here that uh, the music in this game was based on two tracks by Cabaret Voltaire, okay. uh, who was an English music group. I was going to say, I don't, I don't know who that is. Yeah. Let me see if I can see. They was named after the I Cabaret like Voltaire track a Zurich lot, Nightclub. Actually. Oh yeah, yeah. This is a really, really eclectic track. It, it, it is. It, it goes a lot of different places. Um, Three different places, I think we picked out. Yeah. You see, the early work of Cabaret Voltaire consisted primarily of experimentation with DIY electronics and tape machines as well as Dada-influenced performance art, helping to pioneer industrial music. So, interesting. Interesting stuff. This definitely sounds like an experimental piece of music. I think my favorite part of this track might be toward the end when it gets all kind of heavy and crunchy, but I don't know. The whole thing, like you said, is really fun. This is one that I think really, it improves on repeat listens. It really does, man, because it, like I said, it shifts three different times. I think you and I both kind of were really impressed near the tail end of the track when it got heavy on the drums and heavy on like the, the bassier sound. Um, it never looped, which I think is really cool for an almost three minute track here. I really dug this a lot. <laughs> so I just found somebody typed up a, a description of the plot of this game. Um, this is apparently a shoot 'em up game. Um, Ooh, okay. I, like I don't know. Those. If it, I don't know if it's like a run and gun. The screenshots make it look like it might be a run and gun, uh, based on 16 levels. Okay, no, it's a vertical scrolling shooter. Even okay. better. Really weird stuff. Uh, so Terry Ball, oh. terrible. Get it? Has kidnapped Lover Ball, No Ball, Eddie Ball, and oh Glow Ball, and Eyeball must re rescue them through 16 stages. This is. <laughs> This this is a game. I don't know if you've seen us making fun of Viz. Um, you know, Sev's partner in crime over there in the UK mm -hmm. in the Discord server. He plays a lot of stupid games like ZJ the Ball. <laughs> this sounds like a game that he probably needs to to go back and check out. <laughs> you see, you, you you collect discs to upgrade your weapons. Um, and you see, each level has a time limit. You got four lives. Uh, the stages are full of hazards ranging from step-like sequences of blocks with met and metallic edges to Terry Ball's unleashed devices, including microwave ovens and crabs. <laughs> yes, because that makes a ton of sense. <laughs> Two very, oh, very similar things, right? Microwaves and crabs. Yep. I mean, hey, Ball's got to watch out for crabs? crabs, man. I was right? just going to say, what type of crabs? <laughs> Like literally where I was going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Eyeball was released on the Atari ST, which actually was a, a series of systems. And I don't know which one. There was like a 520 ST and a 1040 ST. I don't know all that stuff. But this came out for one of the Atari ST systems. There were so many. That's one thing I absolutely hated about like the early generation of video games. And thank God I was young and I didn't care then. But had I been like in my 20s or 30s at that time and like wanting to get into gaming and all of these different consoles that were out like it's much simpler now thankfully right you only have you know a playstation 5 or an xbox series no they do have x and s but yeah they don't upgrade there yeah that often really, yeah they don't, they don't roll out like a new model like every a, year 
<laughs> yeah, the closest we got was the Xbox One X and the PS4 Pro, right? That was like the closest we ever got to what they used to do with like the Atari 1000 and the 2000 and the 3000 and the 4000. Like that all came out relatively close to one another. Which is why the uh, NES was so revolutionary because absolutely that's the why Famicom, the market crashed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Because it was oversaturated with all this crap, um, like eyeball probably. Like eyeball uh, too. But, <laughs> yeah, maybe the original eyeball was part of that. Eyeball two came out in '87 after things got better. So <laughs> it did. It did. It but did. yeah, the Famicom was really a game changer, and because it was made to last, and it allowed developers to focus more on software and making great games, and not worrying as much about the next iteration of the hardware, or having to create the hardware to go with their game. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and at the same time, working on ports of a game you made for last year's model for this year's model because people still want to buy the game, but you want them to buy the new version. So, <laughs> yeah, it's just, I can I can just imagine. You know, I was five when, when 1987 hit. I turned five yeah, I in 1987. Yeah, yeah, I was one yeah. year old. You were you were brand new, and I um, was new. <laughs> so, like like you said, we don't remember any of this stuff, but see one thing one name i do remember from my years of being a vgm podcast fan one of the first western composers that i heard of was chris hulsbeck who is the composer of our next track which is also from a system that i have heard quite a bit about a lot of love for the system especially coming out of europe talking about the commodore 64 and this game the game itself maybe sounds the most interesting um, of of all the ones we brought. This is Stairway to Hell, which I believe is the main theme of this game. Okay. And that makes sense because this is a music game. Oh, is it really? It is. Uh, your aim in this game is to make a song that reaches the top 10 of the charts. So you're trying to get on top of the charts. To be on top. Okay. And so it's kind of like a puzzle adventure game at first because you're going through this city and trying to find these different parts of songs. They're called they're called inspirations. And so you collect like bass lines, accompaniments, melodies, and sequences. And then you have to put them together in such a way that the game's algorithm recognizes, okay, this is a hit song. Hmm. So, sounds pretty interesting. Sounds like it could, you it know. It does, actually. doesn't have a whole lot of replay value for today's standards, but for back then, in 87, um, this must have been really groundbreaking. And with music like this, man, like propelling it even further, I think mm-hmm. this is a phenomenal track. Uh, Chris Yulspeck yeah. did a, a really great job here. Um, I was I was grooving pretty good on this one, actually, I think. Yeah, this is definitely, this would be a great source of inspiration for the people um, the people working on this. Now, you know, he's listed as the as the composer here on Moby Games. He's actually listed as the executive producer of this I game. I think this was a one-man show as well. I think he actually did everything on this game. Okay, that's cool. That is cool. It's also, it's, it's this is one of the first games he worked on. Uh, his very first game was Madness in 1986. So he had not been in the industry very long. Uh, he had just composed a great Gianna Sisters, which we talked about on our Steam episode. Uh, we, uh, we played a spiritual sequel to that. Um, he had just composed that the same year, 1987. Um, but he also worked on a lot of different ports. Um, but he worked on, let me see, R-Type, Turrican 2, one of the big okay, ones. yeah, big one, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Super Turrican, Mega Turrican. Turrican is, is definitely the series that he is most associated with. 
but he's got so. a, it's got great music. <laughs> yeah, definitely so. Um, he did come back to work on Gianna's sister's Twisted Dreams in 2012, again, which we mentioned. And yeah, he's been, he's still working in the industry up to this day. He just worked on, let me see, Turrican Flashback in 2021. He was a producer on that. That's the last thing it looks like he worked on. Last soundtrack he did was probably the best thing about that game was Bubsy, the Wooly Strike Back in 2017. What a great game. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It wasn't that great. But I did yep. play it, and I think I reviewed it. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but yeah, so this was a cool track, though. I keep talking about the man and not the music, but I just th- this is a really, really solid grooving track. Yeah, like I said, I was, I was vibing my way through this track, man. It was really, really well done. And this entire block was so like the you mentioned the main theme from Eyeball Two being eclectic, but this entire block was really eclectic. Yeah, and I really like I kind of like that we got to start out with this because these were some of the early. Would be proud. (laughs) Yes, yes, he would. Yes, he would. These were some of the early, you know, systems. These were when people think of really old game systems, they think of stuff like the Commodore and the Atari, and uh, so. I wanted to start out with an arcade, like I said, because it looms so large in the history of gaming and was still so big around this time. But I wanted to start with these two because these older systems are kind of like they represent an older era. And then you're going to kind of move us into 1987 proper with some of the stuff that you're going to play in this first block, which I'm I am. excited to get into. I am. Well, shall we do that then? We shall. All right. Well, let's jump to a Master System track then. Let's take a listen to Tower from Fantasy Star, released on December 20th, 1987, composed by Tokuhiko. I think is how you pronounce that. Tokuhiko Uwabo. Next, let's take a listen to Stage Theme from Karnov. This released on December 18th, 1987, Composer Unknown. Mm-hmm. 
Last up in this block, let's take a listen to Daedalus from Digital Devil Story, Megami Tensei. Released September 11th, 1987, composed by Tsukasa Masuko. And we are talking about Tower from Fantasy Star, again, on the Master System, composed by Toki. Man, I always want to say Toki, but it's Tokuhiko Uwabo. <laughs> I, um, I have a lot of experience with Fantasy Star. I've played several of these games. Obviously, I'm a big JRPG fan, but I've never played the original Fantasy Star on the Master System. But I do know this track. I've heard this track very often on other mediums and shows. Yeah, I've definitely heard this track before. Um, it's a it's a pretty classic one um, when it comes to Fantasy Star. Uh, and uh, Tokuhiko Wabo is um, he did a lot of stuff on the Master System. He did he ported a lot of uh, famous Sega games over to it, the the music at least. So yeah, yeah. 
He absolutely did. And this Fantasy Star was done in that, like, first-person style, I believe, right? I, me I remember seeing some uh, video of gameplay of this game where you're... It's very uh, Shin Megami Tensei and the early personas, like, you know, Etrian Odyssey, right? You're going through these first-person corridors and uncovering bits and pieces of the map as you go and when you actually battle enemies it is in that first-person style that a lot of these early JRPGs tended to adopt. Um, this is a a very, and I mean it's called Tower, so I'm assuming it's like a an area within Fantasy Star, but mm -hmm. it's a very triumphant piece of music. It really is. Um, it's got a climbing quality to it and uh, it shows that Uabo was not, you know, just an arranger or, um, you know, a sound programmer. He was actually, you know, really capable of um, making his own compositions uh, and um, pretty sophisticated ones for, for this kind of thing to come out of a master system is, is no small feat. You know, you, you can see this guy knows his way around the system because <laughs> we were talking about it while we were listening. The master system slash Game Gear, because they use the same sound hardware didn't didn't have a great sound to it no it's kind of rare to find a a complete soundtrack that actually is you know on the lack of a better way to put it considered good right like there, yeah. there's a lot of not good stuff on the game gear and the master <laughs> system yeah but um this is also a, a very simple loop as well it doesn't persist very long yeah it doesn't it's only about 50 seconds and the uh the but the loop, where it loops, is also really nice. I like that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good track. Um, I debated between this one and another one that I don't remember from Fantasy Star, but I settled on this one. I thought it was more bouncy and fun to bring to the show. I do have some slower stuff a little bit later on that I'm excited to get to. I think just actually... Maybe just one slower thing that I'm excited to get to. Um, yeah, I've got I've got a couple of slower things I think in my second block as well. Um, nice. But you know, back then the music, a lot of it was keeping the game lively and um, keeping the players moving forward. Um, it wasn't until RPGs got to be kind of a bigger thing that you started to hear a lot of slower stuff. Although that's yeah, not necessarily more true. More emotional stuff. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the in the computer systems, like some of the ones I'm featuring, uh, you had a lot of visual novels that feature more di yeah. diverse music. But yeah, for, for these action titles like this, and I mean, Fantasy Star is an RPG, so it I'm is. sure that, yeah, especially in the second Fantasy Star on the Genesis, um, which Uabo also composed, I'm sure there was a, a lot more diverse music as well, but but yeah great soundtracks and i'm glad we got some master system in here it would have been kind of sad for it not to be featured at least once on a 1987 episode had to get it in there once i think you know my my experience with fantasy star i think started with three in 1990 i played some of three i'm pretty sure i played all of four on the genesis and then i i dabbled in some fantasy star online back in the day too yeah i have never played um Fantasy Star. I remember you talking about Fantasy Star Online at, at one point. I know that we we've talked about this this series before mm -hmm. for some reason, but but yeah, some reason yeah. or another. Yeah, cool stuff. Absolutely. A game a game I don't think you and I have ever talked about though, <laughs> but that I have played at least briefly is uh, your second game in this block. Yeah, jump into the stage theme from Karnov again, composer unknown on this. I. 
tried every possible way to find some person to credit for this track. Watched a long play on YouTube. There are no credits to this game. Um, everything that I found on other websites, yeah. typically where information is listed, just said composer unknown. Just yeah, I mean, known. I'm looking as well, even trying to do any kind of detective work to figure this out is hard. Uh, Shogo Sakai was a composer at Data East in 1987, but I'm just not finding it. This does not sound like Shogo Sakai. Uh, he's got a lot of range, of course, on like, on Mother 3 and some of the Kirby games, but but yeah, this um this does not sound like Shogo Sakai. So. No. And I'm, I'm familiar with Karnov because of Frank. He has talked about this game before. I don't think we've played anything from Karnov before, but he has talked about this game. I know when we used to do like some of the top 10 videos on, on YouTube, this was featured in some top 10 list that he put together that I made a video for. I just don't remember what the topic was about. Um, Data East game, yeah, as you mentioned. And I know Frank has a lot of love or, or lack thereof for, for Data East. That's why I <laughs> still play that jingle to tag team wrestling at the end of every episode. <laughs> oh, man. Th- Data East was one of those, like, I, I can't think of any, I guess Joe and Mac. Wasn't Joe and Mac um, a Data East game? I think uh, so. That's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Bad um, dudes. Come on oh, yeah, 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 bad dudes. That's Karnov actually uh, pops up in Bad Dudes as a boss, I think. He does. He yeah, pops up he in a couple got, of different games as a boss. He does. He's got, like, a, I think a special theme in uh, in Bad Dudes. And they also did Caveman Olympics. Oh, they did. Yeah. Or whatever it was called. Caveman yeah. Games, uh, maybe? On NES, it was Caveman Games. I think it was called Caveman Olympics. Yeah, it was ported to the NES from something else. I think originally it was Caveman Olympics, but... Yeah, I actually, um, I had an idea to do a Caveman Games episode of, <laughs> you know, of games about cavemen, but starting off with the main music in that game, because it's a cool, cool, bouncy little track. That's actually a game I used to rent a lot from the video store. I don't know why I liked that stupid game so much. I mean, I owned that, it. it I mean, it's great. basically track and field with a caveman it aesthetic. Yeah. But it's, it's, so, it's such a cool little game. We, we'll have to bring it sometime so I can talk about it. But man, the pole vault where you fall into the T-Rex's mouth... I just remember, and again, I was real young when I was playing caveman games, but I just remember there was some mini game where you were like dragging one of the female cavemen around by her hair. Oh, yeah. It and was maybe like, throwing her. Yeah, it was like the, uh, like, the, the, <laughs> like there's a, some like kind ball, of like a shot thing. Almost. It's, it's like, like the hammer throw because you're like spinning around and holding her by the hair and like and throwing her and seeing how far you can get her. <laughs> it's crazy. That game. It's absolutely crazy. A couple of other potential candidates for the composition of Karnov based on the time they were at Data East. Um, Hiroaki Yoshida, uh, Zusahara, um, and Tatsuya Kiyuchi were three of the big names at Data East around this time. So I'm going to guess it was probably one of them uncredited. But Well, if we look at Karnov's Revenge... That released in 1994 um, in arcades and Neo Geo, and I think it came to Sega Saturn as well. Uh, Mihoko Ando is credited on Karnov's Revenge, as is Shogo Sakai. Now, Karnov's Revenge, funnily enough, was actually not a sequel to Karnov. It was actually a sequel. I can't remember the name of it, but this came up on, on an episode I listened to not too long ago. It was a fighting game. 
and Karnov was actually the final boss. And it, the game originally had a different title. Karnov's Revenge was like Fighter's Fighter something. Fighter's History, maybe. Uh, Karnov's Revenge is actually Fighter's History, too. So it's funny that Karnov got top billing in that. But okay. I did notice so maybe, that. Maybe, maybe not maybe not them then i just was trying to tie something together there <laughs> but i do wonder if if karnov's boss music in that game sounds anything like this i did see a little blurb that in the scene where you fight karnov and bad dudes they actually pull a melody that's similar to this melody and that okay. was composed by azusahara and hiroaki yoshida so you just you just never know, dude. You just yeah. never know. Some of these One are, of those things are that's really probably hard lost to find. Time. Yeah, some of these are really hard to find. So it is a cool sounded track, though. I do like this a lot, and I think it's the only music that plays in every like stage. It's the only one that's called stage, and nothing else even would seem similar or long enough to be a a backing track for an area. So I believe this might just be the only in-game music, more or less, for Cardinals. Yeah, I did not own this game, but I played it at a friend's house a couple of times, and so I don't remember much about it. Uh, definitely not the music. So, um, but I would I would not be surprised. This was. 87, even though the NES had been out for four years, was still relatively early uh, in the oh, yeah. NES's, you know, long, long lifespan. Um, but uh, so, yeah, a lot of the, especially a lot of the third party, um, I would say lesser, no offense, third party, no offense out of East, uh, games <laughs> had very little or very short soundtracks. So, yeah, absolutely. And then we jump to my last track of that block, which is Daedalus from Digital Devil Story Megami Tensei. Very storied series. Yes, absolutely. I had to pick it when I saw it released in 87. Composed by uh, Tsukasa Masuko. I think this might be my favorite of that block that I just brought. It's very catchy. And the actual YouTube video that we watched while listening to the track, it, it has it broken down like into the individual channels of the NES sound chip. Mm-hmm. And I really like that one channel that is just constantly being like the bass over and over and over again. Just, you know, and I think it only hits, I think I counted, it was like four or five notes that it cycles through throughout the track. Doesn't seem that challenging to play on a piano. I would be, uh, you know, if I actually still played, tempted to try to learn this, it doesn't seem that challenging. Um, but it's really catchy and I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, um, it is a deceptively simple melody. It's got some, the, the way that those few notes are recycled, like you said, and the way that right before the loop that it kind of starts to go up a little bit. It's really effective. Uh, who'd you say was the composer on this one? This was Tsukasa Masuko. Tsukasa Masuko. That's a name I have heard. I'm going to do a little Google in here. And this is another game just like, um, well, you do that, just like Fantasy Star was. This is another first-person dungeon crawler-based game where you're, you know, progressing through corridors. It does, it, it is very text-heavy in that it almost looks like a text adventure in certain areas. It's a very text-heavy game. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that these Megami Tensei games were originally based on a book or a book series. So that makes sense. That makes sense. Tsukasa Masuko. Here we go. You can tell I've been looking at Japanese names for a while because I knew that started with a T before I even looked it up. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, Tsukasa Masuko, um, best known for his work on the Megami Tensei series. He did the music for Megami Tensei 1987, Megami Tensei 2, 
1990, Shin Megami Tensei in 1992, <laughs> and then Shin Megami Tensei 2 in 94, Shin Megami Tensei If also in 94, um, Kyuyaku Megami Tensei in 95, uh, Shin Megami Tensei Devil Summoner in 95, uh, Gaiten Megami Tensei Tokyo Makushiroku, Makushiroku in 97, and looks like his last game was Devil Summoner Soul Hackers in 1997. For and just of, Shin Megami, yes. Yeah, okay, yeah, for just for, just for Shin Megami. Because um, he does have credits in Smash Bros, because everybody does. Right, and everybody and does. His last game was in 2016, The Caligula Effect. I remember at one point you talked about the long, like, hierarchical history of the Megami Tensei games because it spun off into several other different things. The most popular nowadays, of course, being the Persona games. Right. Yeah. Persona um, started out basically as an offshoot to Shin Megami Tensei and eventually in my opinion, and a largely accepted opinion, overshadowed Megami Tensei as a series. I think Persona is way more popular than Megami Tensei ever was, or probably will be. Um, but these games are still really fun, and still releasing. Last year just had Shin Megami Tensei 5. Yep, yep, yep. Which was a so, great game, actually. I've heard, um... I know I've mentioned before, uh, Purnell from Rhythm and Pixels is really a big fan of this whole like series of games. But, but then yeah, there's also to... um, Devil Summoner. That's another spinoff of Megami Tensei, which has the Soul Hackers uh, games in them. There are Digital Devil Saga is another spinoff series. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, of course, this, this game is called D Digital Devil Story Megami right. Tensei. So. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's all connected, man. It's kind of like, oh man, the trees are breathing. It's kind of like, uh, what's the the Legend of Heroes is very similar to that, where they have a lot oh, yeah. of spin-off series. That, a lot that of spin-offs. Yeah, I think even here's a deep cut, uh, Super Jack Bros, which I believe was on the Virtual Boy, is also loosely connected to the Megami Tensei games. Super Jack Bros, the old Virtual Boy. I'll stick to my PlayStation VR two next February. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yep, Virtual Boy. Um, glad it's gone. May it rest in peace. Um, you know, it was it was uh, it was um, it was a thing. You know, and it, it definitely it was you know one of Nintendo's rare like swings and misses when it came to hardware. Um, not like Wii U where it was like just it was actually good hardware, but it was botched the way it was handled. Uh, Virtual Boy was not great hardware. It was a cool idea, not great hardware. There's some pretty pretty fun music that came out for the uh, the Virtual Boy though. Yeah, there's some. There's some. We've played some actually on the show. We have. We yeah, have. We've played some. But that was a fun block. I enjoyed that one. I enjoyed that one as well. Glad we glad we got some NES. Um, oh, and I misspoke. Jack Bros was it was just called Jack Bros, not Super Jack Bros. And yeah, it's a spinoff from Megami Tensei. Uh, Jack Frost, Jack Lantern, and Jack Skelton. Makes who sense. Are, Jack Frost. Yeah, okay. Yep. Who are uh, um, I, I guess devils that you can summon in the Megami Tensei games. Also in the Persona the games too. Yeah. For Halloween. So yeah. Okay. There you go. So a lot of a lot of enemies crossover between Shin Megami and Persona. Makes sense. Makes sense. But yeah, glad we got some NES. Um, we're going to move back into the uh, the world of other consoles, although two of the yeah, games... Yeah, you didn't bring my... a single NES track, did you? 
I did not. I did not. Um, no, you didn't. Which yeah. is funny because those are the only games I would have played from 1987, but <laughs> except maybe a rare arcade game or two. But um, there are still going to be a couple of familiar names on this list, games that are that eventually got ported to the NES. So, And my last block is all NES. So Fun stuff. Yeah, there is a Stone Cold classic coming up in, in your last block that I'm excited to get to. Um, but it's definitely one I have a lot of memories list of listening to. But first, we're going to get to my next block, and we're going to start out with a game that was not ever ported to NES, and one that I'm excited for you to listen to. I think you're really going to dig this. Uh, this is from the Commodore Amiga, and it is the main theme from Amigos, or possibly Amigas, um, released in 1987. And this track was composed by Karsten Obarski.
This is Kyle, and one day you can be too. Every Friday, I host what is soon to be your favorite podcast, The Media Files. Me and one of my best friends talk about pop culture happening so that you don't look like an uncultured swine during those boring water cooler conversations. Laughs are shared, tears are cried, and sometimes we have really interesting special guests that you might be familiar with. Download The Media Files wherever you download podcasts, and remember, be kind, be honest, and we'll see you later. Next up in my block, we're going to listen to Return of Fox Hounder from Metal Gear, released July 13th, 1987 for the MSX2 and composed by Kazuki Moraoka. Closing out my second block, we're listening to First Step Towards Wars from Ease, The Vanished Omens, released June 21st, 1987 for the PC-88 and composed by Yuzo Koshiro.
And coming back, we are listening to You Belong to the... Oh, wait. Uh, we are listening to <laughs> the main theme from <laughs> Amigas, released for the Amiga, um, of course, in 1987. And this was composed by Karsten Obarski, one of Dude. his first games. He actually just started in 1987 working on Amiga music. I love this so much. I knew you this, would, man. This is totally what I wanted out of this episode might be Classic the only thing that sounds like what I sound. wanted. Yeah, what I absolutely mm-hmm. wanted out of this. I'm so glad. And the Amiga was great for that kind of music, dude. It was. Uh, Amiga's it was. got some fantastic stuff on it. It really does, man. That's why we've done like three focus episodes on the Amiga so far on this podcast. And I'm convinced we will do a fourth. Or yeah. if we've done four, then we will do a fifth. <laughs> yep. I don't remember exactly how many we've done. But... I knew this reminded me of something like I was sitting here racking my brain and I figured it out like, I don't know, about halfway through. It's so similar to Glenn Frey's You Belong to the City, which was featured in (laughs) the only reason I know about that song, because it came out in 1985, two years before this game came out, um, which the Amiga is also very good at doing this. Mm -hmm. I'm listening to the track again. So what I'm thinking of is the part in this track that kicks in at like the minute 15 second mark. That's what I'm comparing to the chorus of You Belong to the City. Okay. Okay. And it's, it's basically like a 1.25 speed version of Glenn Frey's song. And the Amiga is really good at that, right? We've, we've, I think showcased a lot of games on the Amiga that have music that is 
I don't want to say a ripoff of popular music or mainstream music at the time. Well, yeah, but it no, basically but definitely is. like an homage or it basically you could is. tell it's inspired by. Yeah, yeah. And and these European composers that worked on the Amiga, um, you know, a lot of that music came out of of Europe, and so you know that they were just as influenced by that by that as we are. And oh yeah. And maybe one of the things I love so much about the Amiga music is that so much of it is a product of its time. Of course, there's a huge range. People are still composing Amiga music today, but there's a so much of it is a product of its time. And it's a classic example, kind of like Red Book Audio was, of composers being able to use a higher fidelity of sound in the music they were making. I don't know all the specs for the Amiga um, to break it down, but I know it was a step up from the uh, the Commodore 64. Um, and this, this may be some of the most advanced sounding stuff as far as just the quality of the sound. Um, that that we're hearing on the episode today. It's really good. I'm confident in saying this is probably my favorite track of the playlist today. I do have one track coming up in my next block that I'm really excited to showcase. Um, It's the first one of the block. You're probably familiar with it just because of who it is. Mm -hmm. But I love that track. Yeah, I am. I, I really, I'm a big fan of, of all three of the, the tracks in your next block. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But um. Yeah, man. Uh, Amiga or um, uh, Amigas or Amigas is a um, so Wikipedia calls it a clone of Arkanoid, which built on uh, Breakout, I think, was the first game of this kind where Mm -hmm. you've got a little platform down at the bottom of the screen going left and right. And uh, a ball bounces off of it and up into these bricks that line the ceiling. And the goal is to knock all the bricks down or or destroy them. And um, the, the only difference it looks like is that the screen is bigger and on most levels um, there are more bricks to destroy and there's a little bit more strategy to it. And uh, but yeah, other than that, it's just a breakout slash Arkanoid clone. And I could definitely see myself zoning out to some Arkanoid to this track. Oh, yeah. If this if this track or music like this would have been in breakout. I would have played it a lot more than I have because I've played a lot of clones of, of that. I mean, they were very popular when computers were first becoming more common to have, right? There was a lot of breakout-themed games. It's super simple uh, in very concept. Simple. Uh, yeah. it, one of those easy-to-play, hard-to-master type of things. And it's a great idea. So, yeah. 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 Wonderful. It's pick, cool. Kind of a combination puzzle shooter. One of the first hybrid games. <laughs> Wonderful pick. I'm so happy with that. I'm glad, man. I'm glad. It was probably, if I haven't said this already, probably my favorite of the new things I discovered. I don't Well, this think was new to you? <laughs> this track was new to me. Yeah, I had never Damn. heard of Amagos before this. Wonderful. And when That's I discovered that, this. I was like, oh man, oh man. I And I brought it because I liked it, but I knew you were going to love it. That's why we do this. That's right. All four of the tracks that we have heard so far were new to me. I, I had never heard of those those games. Um, but that's about to change. It is about to change because I have heard these next two tracks and these next two games are legendary. First up, talking about Return of Fox Hounder from Metal Gear, which originally released for the MSX, but I brought the MSX2 version because it's just a little bit cleaner. It's so clean. You and I were actually talking yeah. about that, like comparing it to the NES version of of the game. And I honestly, I've only heard the MSX and MSX2 like soundtrack versions maybe once or twice in my life. 
I didn't have an MSX or an MSX2. Didn't even know what they were back then. Um, I do now, obviously, but no clue what they were then. And yep, same. I definitely think I prefer this version. It's really cool, man. The So the NES version of this track was composed by Kazuki Muraoka. The MSX version was actually, um, according to what I'm seeing here, it was one of these names, which I think you may have heard before, uh, Shigehiro Takanuichi. Okay, okay. Motowaki Furukawa mm-hmm. and Iku Mizutani. Iku Mizutani, baby. <laughs> there Couldn't you have been go. Harry Gregson Williams back then. <laughs> no, probably not back then. <laughs> but Metal Gear, of course, being a classic series uh, by Konami mm-hmm. that actually got its start on the MSX, like a, a lot of different Konami series did. Bomberman, Parodius, Puyo Puyo. Eggerland, which I knew was the Adventures of Lolo on the NES, which actually was not done by Konami. It was done by HAL Laboratory, interestingly enough. But yeah, man, the MSX had a lot of uh, a lot of Konami stuff on it. This is one of the biggest ones to come out of it. Still going strong. It really I is, say man. still going strong. Yeah, I was going to say. Have, I mean, we it's haven't been had a minute, Metal but... Gear game in a minute, but yeah, since five, that was like what 2015. <laughs> yeah, man, maybe it was a while ago, longer ago than it feels like, but. With uh, Kojima leaving and doing his own thing, the uh, future, and with Konami being what Konami is today, the future of Metal Gear is questionable. But Hey, Konami's trying to bring it back. Like I said, they remember they make video games. We have seen... We've seen at least a, a lot of collections coming out, so... Collections and, hey, Silent Hill. Okay, just okay. Just did get... There uh, you go. There you go. Very you good. Know, three new <laughs> game announcements plus a TV show or a Calling anime it. or... Calling it. 2023 Metal Gear Retro Collection, and then 2024, we're going to get the Metal Gear game that's going to be announced when the collection is released. Yeah, that's... Uh, you know what? And, that, and when that happens, I'm very <laughs> um, curious to see... Who is tied as, like, the director of the game? It will be interesting to see, yeah. And I'm very... I think I'm more interested to see the online uh, outburst, I guess. I don't know the right word I'm (laughs) trying to think of there. The online reception, maybe. The outcry. The the outcry that that person is going to receive because it's not Kojima. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a thankless job, but hopefully whoever they get to eventually do it, you know does a good enough job that they win over the haters because that that's just that's a win for everybody yeah and i mean it's definitely a series that deserves much like silent hill much like castlevania and all these other suikoden they forgot about that and <laughs> I remember, remember about it but but yeah but um, all these, these games all these classic series yeah this this will not be the last konami entry on the list from a it's not classic konami series but speaking of classic series the last game in my uh, my blocks is by a composer that we all know and love, Yuzo Koshiro. Someone that we spoke to. <laughs> yes, Welcome we did. Back to Someone the show, whose Yuzo. voice has been featured on Beachy Mania. And uh, maybe I'll put yeah. him at the end of this episode since he's in it. One of his very first. Yeah, that would be great. That'd be great. Classic um, man. One of the first games that he ever worked on. Still a flippant teenager when That's he composed Ease. Uh, Ease one. Ancient Ease vanished and uh, also known as Ease the Vanished Omens. And the track we're listening to is First Step Towards Wars, which is, I I almost kind of feel like if Ease had a theme song, this would be it, man. It's reused heavily, and I think every Ease game moving forward, it's such an iconic piece of music, man. It's so intricate for its time. Oh my God, I love it so much. 
just doesn't get much better, unless it's the Amigas track, I guess. And this version that we're listening to is the PC-88 version, which I also thought was fitting because Koshiro loved the PC-88. We talked oh, about really it on did. his episode. Yeah. He, he still uses it to compose stuff now. Like, he used it to compose so many different things, and he'll still break it out every now and then. And, uh, you know, when we got ActRaiser Renaissance... The original Act Razor, that soundtrack was composed on a PC eighty eight and yep. then ported and then he ported it over himself using his homebrewed Super NES hardware because he's a freaking genius. But it's amazing. Man, what is there to say about this track or this composer or this this series that we haven't already said, you know? Yeah, we've said so much. <laughs> I mean, I just I, I again wanna just express how much I absolutely love this sound and this vibe that Ease always gives off. Like Man, Falcom, they just got it. They got it yep. then, they still get it now. Like, they just understand that culture and that niche of, of video game market. It's so well done. And I love that you actually had the oscilloscope track for this, too. I really enjoyed watching that. Yeah, I love those things. The oscilloscope and being able to watch the different channels and, and how they're used. The, the, the two squares and the triangle there. Yep, absolutely. No, wait, that wasn't the PC-88. This is like two squares and a noise channel. That's what it is. I don't, I don't yeah. know the names of the channels. I'm not that You can tell the uh, the top two are squares because it's literally just the they shape of like the wave. Squares. Yeah, yeah they that's, like that's why they call it that. So, And then the noise channel at the bottom because you can hear it going with those drums. But, man, so many great series that started in 1987. Uh, Punch-Out, Fantasy Star, just the ones that we're talking about here. Megami Tensei, Metal Gear, Ease, and... Uh, and we're not done yet. We're not no, done yet. No, we have... Uh, I would consider one of these games in my next block relatively smaller than the last three that we're going to play. My last two and then your closeout track. Probably so. But we Well, my closeout's some... a quirky one, though. It is quirky, <laughs> but... But we'll get to but it. But we'll get to it, and the very popular game is basically that game, right? That's the same game. Shh, nobody knows that. Nobody on the internet knows. That's why oh, okay. every YouTuber has to talk about it. Like, it's a fact nobody knows. Yeah, it's so stupid. But, yeah. But anyway, anyway. <laughs> Before we get to that, though, I'm really excited because this, this NES block you've got coming up, I know it's going to have some fantastic music in it. Yeah, it may be our most stacked block of the episode, I think, probably, based on what's in it. I think I think so. Just, yeah. just in the clouds that these games have. Right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. These composers and these games. So I, I purposely put this one right after that ease, uh, the Vanished Omens track, because you brought something from my favorite composer of all time, Yuzo Koshiro, and I brought something from one of your favorite composers of all time, Yoko Kodaka. Yeah. So Hell following yeah. it up with that. Let's kick things off with High Score from Platoon, released in 1987 and again composed by Naoki Kodaka.
coming up next in this block, we'll be taking a listen to Enemy Base from Contra. This released on February 20th, 1987. It was composed by Hedonori Maizawa and Kiyohiro Sada. Last up in my block before we close the episode out, let's take a listen to Overworld Theme Hero from Dragon Warrior 2. This released on January 26th, 1987, composed by Koichi Sugiyama. Thank you. 
coming back in, we are talking about High Score from Platoon, again composed by Naoki Kodaka. And I gotta say, man, like, I know you're a big fan of Kodaka, but I think this might be one of my favorite tracks of his because it's so different. And I really, really love the melody of this track, especially when it gets a little further in and it... Uh, where's it at? Like around the, I guess, 40 second mark, maybe 35 second mark in that area. It just, oh my God, it's got so much emotion behind it for an NES game. It really does. Platoon game. Yeah. Not Splatoon. Platoon. (laughs) So bonkers that this R-rated Vietnam War drama was adapted to... I mean, originally it was adapted to the computer systems, which were more, I think, geared toward, like, young adults, but but then ported to this console that was originally marketed as a toy. <laughs> and yeah, so I don't, I don't know who the original composer was. Um, Kodaka jumped on board because when this was moved over to the NES, it was uh, done by Sunsoft, which, you know, of course, that's Kodaka's company, not his company, but the one he's, he's you know, associated with. And um, he, he really, he really knocks this one out. Uh, like you mentioned, I'm a big fan of Kodaka and I love his classic NES sound, like the Journey to Silliest stuff. Yep. But when he, later on, when he branched out and started getting into stuff like Super Fantasy Zone and um, uh, Albert Odyssey especially, this sounds like an early precursor to Albert Odyssey. Oh, dude, so much so. Yeah, I mean, obviously Albert Odyssey being a JRPG, those, as we talked about earlier in the show, tend to have more emotional, slower music in them for certain areas. And this this would fit right in. It would absolutely fit right in. It's so well done. I like that the three different versions of Platoon that released, the one on the Commodore 64, NES, and Amiga, all three different composers and all three very well-known names. So that's kind of cool that this game had Jonathan Dunn on the Commodore, Nyoka Kadak on the NES, and David Whitaker on the Amiga. Okay, okay, cool. Man, that's almost, would almost be worth like a bonus episode, just listening to those different compositions. Let's pencil it on the list. That's cool. I like that. Because we those are all, versions. of course, yeah, storied composers. I'm, I'm sure we can. With composers like that, I'm sure they got to be out there somewhere. That'd be fun but, to compare and contrast. Mm-hmm. I put it on the list. I don't know when it'll happen. <laughs> like I said, next year's booked, but I put it on the list. <laughs> Oh, man. And then from that amazingly beautiful track, we jump to two very well-known tracks, I think. Two very well-known games. I Kicking think so. things off first with Enemy Base from Contra. Oh, so good. Yes. Again, <laughs> composed by Hidenori Maizawa and Kiyo... Ki, yeah, Kiyohiro. I'm saying that right. Kiyohiro Sado. Or Seda. Um... What a what a fantastic track. I know you told me this was your favorite from Contra. It's probably it, it's either my favorite or second favorite. I do really like the jungle theme as well. A lot of people do. I mean, dude, the whole Contra soundtrack <laughs> no, is so great. stacked. It's great. like the waterfall, the snow field. It's all just it's so waterfall is another track that we've played on the show. Yep, yep. Um, but I don't know. For my money, this one, this is the one that sticks in my head. When I think of Contra, this pops into my head. And it, it might just be because this level of the game was just such a cool thing for me. The way that it's, you know, the way that it's like, it's almost like a, a third-person shooter. It You're really like is. running toward the, the back of the screen. This like faux 3D effect on the Yeah, NES. very different from the rest of the game and the mm-hmm. way it was presented. Yeah, and just this music fits 
it's that sense of danger. All of a sudden you're in this enclosed space and this is not as long of a loop and it doesn't have as much melodic movement as the jungle track because you're not out in the open anymore. It's right. it's in this like little building. And I didn't even think about all this while we were listening. It's just kind of coming to me now, <laughs> but it's it's really really effective this is my nostalgic favorite for the episode it's there are better tracks that we've heard but this is this is a this is a great one sleeper I'm hit glad i brought this one <laughs> in for you i'm glad i had this on the list it's uh you know i mean contra it's one of the biggest games to release in 1987 mm-hmm. at least for that time period I know it's kind of fallen off and some of these other ones are still flourishing like Dragon Quest and I think Final Fantasy released in 87 um, uh, yeah I think I think maybe maybe so yeah, yeah one of them did um, I don't know which one, but I mean, it did. It did. Yeah. Because okay. I remember, I remember reading that now on that 1987 in gaming page. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so a lot of big games that year and, you know, Final Fantasy 16 is coming next summer. So yep. who knows if we'll ever see another good Contra game. They did just have one recently, didn't they? That wasn't that good. Uh, Rogue Cores? Rogue something. Yeah. I think it was like something last core. year. Something. Yeah. Um, hardcore was the Genesis one. I, th- I, th- I think it might, it must've been a Rogue. It was it was forgettable, man. Um, it was from That's why everything I, don't I heard. Yeah, um, Contras had such a like an up and down history, but I think I think the 16 bit era is when it really really hit its hit its peak with the oh, yeah. uh, with again super Contra hardcore and, and then Contra 3 the Alien War. Um, but but as far as soundtracks go, it never got better than this. This oh, is no. the best soundtrack that, that the series has ever had. Absolutely. So good. It's very strong. It's so nostalgic. It's so easy to go back to and listen. It's it's really well done. This is a great track. Yeah. Yep. Definitely really so. Good track. And then we go to another very popular series, still going strong. Waiting on Dragon Quest Twelve. We're talking about Dragon Warrior Two or Dragon Quest Two. Dragon Warrior the back then though. Dragon Warrior on the NES. Dragon mm-hmm. Quest in Japan, of course. Uh, composed by uh, Koichi Sugiyama. Um, very talented composer, very influential on the industry. And this is a really, really good track. It's really well composed. Yeah, talking about the overworld theme, the hero version. We did play another version of this track back on the trilogy episode we did. I think Frank was probably on that one with me. Uh, Dragon Warrior 1, 2, and 3 we did. And we played the Prince Kanok version of the overworld theme, which is a lot more upbeat and faster than this version. But I think this version is is more... More nostalgic, obviously, because it's probably the main one. Now, I don't remember. It's been a very long time since I've played the early Dragon Warrior games, and I don't think I've ever actually finished any of them. Maybe three. I may have finished three, actually, now that I think about it. But um, it's a very clean-sounding track and very, very JRPG, like very early JRPG, and you could see where a lot of other games that came after that took inspiration from Dragon Warrior and Final Fantasy got their sound. Yes, definitely so. Uh, I mean, of course, he comes from a classical and um, film background and brings all of those chops to the stuff that he composed for the NES. And I wish I knew more about who programmed the sound for him. Like with Naoki Kodaka, Kodaka was the composer and uh, folks like uh, Nobuyuki Hara were actually the ones who coded the music into the games. And Kodaka was always very... Um, 
focused on making sure that they got to share his spotlight, which doesn't happen a whole lot. You don't get it to hear not. that as much. Um, but Sugiyama, I haven't heard about a lot of the, the folks who actually implemented his music, but the composition itself is uh, understandably really strong. And um, like you said, the series still going strong, still got a huge presence in the industry. Oh, yeah. Dragon Quest Eleven did great. And a lot of people are eagerly anticipating news because they already announced it. It's We already know the title. I forget what the name of it is. Like Dragon Quest Twelve, something, something, something. I have it on my, my list here. Let me look because I keep a spreadsheet. It's the Flames of Fate. Is that what it's called? Oh, there you yep. go. Dragon yeah. Quest Twelve: The Flames of Fate. Perfect. And I'm checking now. Can't wait. Um, okay, when you Google Dragon Quest Twelve composer, Sugiyama's name comes up. I wonder. I mean, obviously they're going to be building on some of his themes. I would but, think, and he may have already because the game has been announced for like. Oh a yeah, few, video games are in development for a long time. Yeah, so he, he may, may have already, actually have already done quite a bit to where they might only need to bring in somebody for things that change between his death and release. Yeah. And if that person does a good enough job, uh, they have a pretty good chance of inheriting the mantle. Um, Absolutely. This is one of those series that more so than, than maybe than any other series I can think of was so directly tied to one composer for all of its lifetime. So it's going to be really interesting to hear where that goes. You know who I hope uh, would be brought on? And would actually, I think, do really well if they were able to get him. Joe Hisayashi. Oh, yes. Dude, he really would. Man, could you imagine, like, if they took some of this work in a a Ghibli direction? Because Uh you've already got Akira Toriyama with art and you know who else would be really a really interesting choice because of his background with square and we know the range that he has is uh, Yasunori Mitsuda oh yeah mm-hmm. very much so yeah. I mean there's no shortage of course of fantastic candidates for for a job like that uh, Yoko Shimomura you know is one man wouldn't it be crazy if she got to work on Mario Final Fantasy and, <laughs> and Dragon Quest freaking Dragon <laughs> Quest man she's just hitting them all all the big She'd series just leaving yep. her stamp on. Yeah. Yeah. Just cross another one off the list. <laughs> but you never know, though. I mean, it is it's square and um, uh, she's she's still really heavily involved with them. So, um, but yeah, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Time will tell. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have a spotlight episode on that in the future whenever it does come out, because those games always have incredible music. But man, this uh, this turned out good. I like this one. I'm glad it went the way it did. I had a lot of fun doing this, and we brought a lot of great stuff. Yeah, we really did, man. I'm I'm really impressed with how this came together. Uh, I was excited for it, like you were, and uh, we we didn't disappoint ourselves or each other. So hopefully, we also did not disappoint the listeners. And no, um, we can never. I've got got a special surprise here at the end because. We have what may be a largely unknown track from a composer who may be the most well-known video game composer, with the exception of Nobuo Uematsu. Um, talking about Koji Kondo. Yeah. And uh, my, the final track of, of the episode we're going to close out with is from Doki Doki Panic, which now I hope you're, you're all sitting down. Yume Kojo, Doki Doki Panic, was was a it was a um, what do you call it? Uh, um, so it was based on a TV show made in cooperation with Fuji Television. So it was like a promotional game, and this game 
So when they when they released Mario 2 in Japan, um, they decided it was too hard for for U.S. gamers, and so they they didn't release that. It came back eventually as the Lost Levels. Our Super Mario 2 is actually based on Doki Doki Panic. No way. I know, right? <laughs> I can't do it anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. Zokioki Panic, <laughs> very, very well known as the uh, original version of what became Super Mario Bros. 2, or Super Mario USA, as it's known in Japan. But the track we're going to be listening to um, is the Famicom Disk System version, because that's the platform that Doki Doki Panic was released on. Famicom Disk System version of the File Clear theme, which was unique in that you actually had to beat the game with all four characters in order to hear this music. This music was not in Super Mario Brothers 2. I didn't think so. I didn't think this was featured in Mario 2. So yeah, so it's not very long. As Koji Kondo compositions go, it's not super impressive, but it's still a very solid track, and it, it sounds like a great closer. I mean, it's the file clear music. So, yeah. file um, clear so episode yeah. cleared. So yeah, that's uh, that's going to be our closeout. All right, I like this track. It's very fun. It's very Koji Kondo. I think it's a great yeah. track. Really yeah. happy. Really kind of a celebratory track, and um, yeah, hopefully leave y'all with some with some good feelings. Very nice. All right. Well, getting closer to the end, did you have anything you wanted to uh, plug or mention or whatever the case may be? This will be posting on November 16th if all goes according to plan. So around that time frame. Yep. Yep. Um, so again, my um, second to last episode of Very Good Music will be out by the time this episode airs. So you can go check that out about ending themes. Um, go check out Shoot Kapow's YouTube page. It's the uh, one with, I think she's now up to 225 followers. So oh, wow, she jumped one. over like 100 since <laughs> last week. Yeah, it's 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 crazy, man. Uh, she's blowing up. Yeah. Um, and let me see what else. Oh, the movie bar for the month of November is going to be an old Paul Newman film called The Verdict, where Paul Newman plays a lawyer who goes up against a... Um, a Catholic hospital that is not treating its uh, its patients very well. So he's fighting against the system, and I don't know much about it. My dad actually recommended it to me, and then uh, the dyad remembered that I had mentioned it a while back. And so yeah, that's going to be our focus for November. So the movie bar, go check it out. Nice. Uh, oh, I also have to uh, have to mention um, I've picked up a few new Steam games since Ooh. our Steam okay. um, Steam episode. I got. Let me see here. Um, I picked up Infernax finally. For Ooh, a lot of folks talking game. about that. Yeah, great game. Um, uh, I now am finally the owner of Ori and the Blind Forest. I mentioned that I had played the uh, I played the demo. The demo, yeah. Now I'm going to play the game. Um, Children of Morta. Oh, you bought which it. I heard you guys talk about. I did. Well, it we did. talked about it on the Steam episode. Yeah. Yep. That's why I put it on my wish list, and um, I got um, got a Steam gift card, just a random random gift from a buddy, and picked up a few things. Rakuen. Or oh, Horror soundtrack. Game. Really yeah, looking Frank forward to that. that yeah. And uh, Turnip Boy commits tax evasion. Also a fantastic. Game. <laughs> so and yeah, lots of games I've been next hearing year. about for a few years. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I also, in the midst of the episode, you did. downloaded. I, just, I love it. Doki Doki Panic for free. Uh-huh. And dude, I played it the other night. 
and I got about an hour in and I'm like, man, this, this isn't so bad. I mean, I can, I know something's going to happen, but it can't really be as bad as, you know, as everybody talks about this game is so disturbing and oh my God. Oh, oh holy crap. So anyway, um, not going to give anything away. You said it was after midnight and I love that. It was, that makes it, better. it was, yeah. Like you said, I'm not going to give anything away. I mean, the, the disclaimer says that this game is not for children or people who are easily disturbed. So and it's tagged as psychological horror. It's the first tag on Steam. So everybody yep. knows there's something going on, but I'm not going to say what it is because you need, <laughs> if you have not experienced it and you don't know, you owe it to yourself. So go check it's it out. It's such a cool <laughs> game, man. Such a unique take for that style of game. I love it so much. And like you said, it's freaking free. Check it out. Check it out. And I mean, I, I finished my first run in like oh, they're not two long. and a half hours. Yeah, it's super short. Yeah, very short game, but meant to be played multiple times due to multiple endings and characters. Yes. Like yeah. Yeah. But oh, I think that's going to do it. I think that's going to unfortunately bring us to the close of the show for this week. We do want to thank you for staying with us and listening to another episode of BG Mania made possible, of course, by RPGR.com. If you like video game music, or more importantly, you like us and you want to help us grow this show, check the description box for ways you can do just that, including a link to join our Discord community. Click it, join it, and interact with us. Bedroth, again. What do we close out with? We are closing out with File Clear from Yume Kojo Doki Doki Panic. Released in 1987 for the Famicom Disk System and composed by Koji Kondo. Keep the music playing and keep it loud.